Good morning. Uh, this is my audition for Preachers and Sneakers, the Instagram account where it features preachers wearing cool shoes. I'm wearing my son's shoes this morning so that I can be cool. Did it work, Toby? Is it working for me? All right. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, welcome to Fremont Community Church. It's great to be here. Before I, I talk about um, uh, healthy relationships, which is what we're focusing on this morning, I just want to say uh, one of the signs if, of a healthy church that we believe uh, comes from the scriptures is a church that cares about justice and mercy. And I just want to thank everyone who was a part of the diaper drive uh, yesterday and any time that you've helped out with that. We, we on uh, Once a month on Saturdays, we partner with other churches to distribute diapers for people who are in need. And it's such an amazing thing to come and see um, because it's not just this thing that we do. It's these relationships that get built and people are being welcomed into our community through this and it's just been really uh, I'm just so grateful for for Ruth for getting the start in for Elaine for keeping it organized and all the people who volunteer month in and month out thank you for yeah if you if you've raised children you know how expensive diapers are and it is a truly a blessing um, that we've got churches that are willing to, to serve our community in this way so thank you everyone who's involved. Um, today we're talking about healthy relationships, and uh, I primarily want us to think about this in this concept of friendship. Friendship is a big thing in the Bible. There's a denomination of Christians that just call themselves the friends because that's how they understand discipleship and community. And so that's why we want to do this this morning, but I want to hear through literature or television or movies what do you think of when you think of, who do you think of when you think of a really good friendship? And don't say the people on Friends, because their friendships were kind of trash, all right? That's a misnomer of that show. They were pretty bad friends to each other. Sorry, Ty. Um, <laughs> shout it out. What, what a great TV book, movie, friendships? Sam and Frodo. Sam and Frodo. Seinfeld. Seinfeld? I don't know, man. <laughs> Those guys would sell each other out for anything. Bert and Ernie. I love that one. I didn't think of that one. Who else? SpongeBob and Patrick. What was the other one? Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> he hits him with a cane. That's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> our Lucy and Ethel. I like that. That's a good one. What's that? The Covenant? I don't know that show. Okay, I got to see it. Everybody put it on your to-watch list. All right, here's some ones I came up with. Goose and Maverick. I wish I had a friend named Goose. That's a cool name. Uh, Ron, Hermione, and, and Harry, they like save each other's lives in like every chapter of those books. So that's a good friendships, right? Sam and Frodo. Timon and Pumbaa. Right? <laughs> they stick together despite the, the differences in their species. I don't know. Um, <laughs> what else? We've got JD and Turk. Did a song just pop into anybody's hand, head? Okay, good. If it didn't, that's all right. And then the last one, the Golden Girls. Come on. They're a theme song. Sing it with me. One, two, three, four. Thank you for being a friend. Like it's their theme song. All right, I'm such a nerd. Um, <laughs> but we love these friendships when we see them. Because we, we want to have deep, fulfilling friendships. And sadly, this is sometimes not as easy as, as we think it would be to have those types of bonds and friendships with other people. 
There's a reason hashtag friendship goals is a thing. Like we aspire to have close relationships that enrich our lives. We need friendships to be healthy. But even more, we need healthy friendships in order to be healthy. And so I'm going to be jumping a little bit all over the place today talking about different aspects of friendship and relationships. But my main sources for today were um, a couple of books by Pete Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship and Emotionally Healthy Relationships. Um, But I also took a class uh, with Scott McKnight. And so some of this comes from my seminary notes. He talked about the need. We did a whole week on how friendship is important um, for, for pastors and for a congregation and how much we need each other. It's something that's often overlooked because we're thinking about like, you know, other religious things. We, we don't see the holiness, the sacredness of friendship. So why is this so important? Well, because it's important to God. Um, this is from Mark chapter 12. Jesus talks about the most important things that we can do in life. It starts this way. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had give them a, given them a good answer. He asked him, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. And and the early church took this so seriously that that they they could not separate love of God from love of other. You couldn't have one without the other. To love God meant you loved people. And the, the, the teacher of the law was probably like, oh, yeah, because all Jesus did here was quote the Old Testament. This isn't new. This was always the way it was supposed to be, to love God and love others. This is the foundation of the Christian faith. He simplifies it. That's the whole thing. Friendship with God, friendship with others is the whole point of life. Scripture says that, that God is love. That's in 1 John. It says God is love. And we don't need to look to the dictionary to define love. We look to God. We look to Christ. How did he demonstrate love? And that's where we take our cues for how we develop health in our relationships with one another. We look to God and that's what we mimic, right? When we see how God does it, that's what we do. And so our our primary passage for today is is one of my favorites and I go to it over and over and over again because I need to be reminded. It's in Philippians 2 and Paul is writing a letter to the church and in the middle of this letter, it kind of breaks into a hymn, something that either he kind of wrote and the early church would recite, or somebody else came up with it, and he's just repeating it, and they would have already known this hymn about Jesus. And here's how it goes. He's, he's talking, telling them, here's how you're supposed to treat one another. So he starts with this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as, as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, sorry, let me get you there, <laughs> did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you're a person who likes to memorize scripture or you're looking for a way to stay encouraged, I would, I would say memorize this passage. It is absolutely beautiful. And not only does it show us, if you're writing down on your DBS guides, what does this tell us about God? Well, it shows us what God is like. He lays down his power that we might have healing. He lays down his power that we might experience his love. That's what it tells us about God. And what does it tell us about us? Right in there in the verse, he says, in your relationships with one another, do what God did. Do what Jesus did. We're called to lay down our power, our status, our whatever, so that other people might thrive. Have the same attitude as Jesus. Love sacrificially. He's calling the, the followers of Jesus to, to just do that. Mimic Jesus. And this is how we can seek health in our relationships. And one of the reasons I love this passage so much is it teaches us a few things about the way love takes shape when it's lived out for Jesus. See, see Jesus came and did this. The scriptures tell us that while we were still his enemies, he died for us. He could have cut off the relationship with us, right? He could have severed the relationship and said, I'm done with you people. But he said, no, no, no. I want a permanent relationship with these people. I'm going to restore it because it's permanent. And one of the ways that we can have healthy relationships is we love each other as if our relationships are permanent. That may seem pretty obvious when we're talking about something like marriage. You know, we make marriage vows and all that. But if you're married and you have a mindset that thinks, well, if this doesn't work out, then, well, that's not, it's certainly not going to last if, you, if you've got that attitude. Our mindset must be, I'm committed to this person for life, and how, how do I deal with this short-term situation in a way that builds long-term health into this relationship? That's our mindset. And too often, we're short-sighted in all of our relationships. How do I get what I want in this situation? How do I win this argument? Instead, we should be asking, how do we make this relationship thrive? Because I'm committed to it. It's permanent. I'm not backing out when things get tough. How do we submit to one another in such a way that we both thrive? So I'm going to talk about marriage a little bit. If you're not married, stick with me. We're going to come back to it. But I'm going to talk about marriage a little bit because the Bible says that, you know, if you choose to get married, here's how you should do it. The Bible does not say you should get married or you have to get married. Let's be clear about that. But if you do, there is a right way to do it, right? And in Ephesians 5 is a passage where um, uh, Paul talks about the gospel, of self-sacrifice is what can make our marriages permanent. Specifically marriage, we can make our marriages permanent if we, two people, commit to self-sacrifice. Not one, both people commit to self-sacrifice. He starts the whole section by saying this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's saying, hey, we need to live out the gospel. If you choose to get married, here's how that needs to happen in your household. And he starts with this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He then goes on to say, wives, submit to your husbands as you would submit to Jesus. And then husbands, 
You are to lay down your life. Give your life for your wife. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, these verses sometimes get used to support a patriarchal household code, right? The man is the head of the household. The woman is to submit. But I want to push back on that a little bit. Uh, Paul is not saying here that men are created by God to lead and women are created by God to follow. That is not what he's saying here. In fact, the word that we translate as submit, it doesn't translate to obedience. And if this was about hierarchy, he would say obey, but he doesn't. He says submit, but the word better translates as respect. Respect. And remember, Paul wrote Ephesians. He also wrote Philippians. And he's saying the default posture of all believers is that we should mirror the love of Jesus, who loves us so much that he would lay down his power for us, that he would lay down his life for us, that he would be so selfless and sacrificial that he would go to the cross on our behalf. And that is exactly what Paul is telling husbands to do. Lay down your power. The world gives you power unnecessarily because we live in a world that has always kind of preferred men and men have had higher status and, and more rights and power historically. Paul is saying, Jesus laid down his power, his godness in that moment, so that we might be healed and healthy and saved. And in the same way, we are supposed to lay ourselves down for our wives, men. So, I think it's actually the opposite of what the patriarchal, patriarchal uh, cultures were teaching. Paul is saying something countercultural here. He's saying, value your wives the way that they deserve to be valued because they were not valued in society. Any power you have is to be laid down in submission so that the other can thrive. That's how relationships work. When both people say, I submit to you, I want to do what is best for you. If, if people enter into any relationship, but especially marriage with a mindset of my life's goal in this relationship is that you thrive, then both people will thrive. It's not that hard, but it's hard. It's an easy concept, but it's difficult because we're wired up to seek our own, right? We're wired up towards selfishness more than we are towards selflessness. I want to just, you know, if you still want to argue with me that men are supposed to be better than women or whatever, we can do that. Um, but, but I want to just go back to the very scripture that, that starts the whole heading off, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of reverence for Christ. That means men and women in marriage, we are to submit to one another, right? Not men are the boss, women are the followers, okay? Again, you can yell at me if you disagree after church, but <laughs> I just think that's really important that we throw that out there because as a church, we, we do believe in empowering women, both in the home uh, and in, in their relationships and, and in the church. So that sidebar over with. I also want to say one of the reasons I, I, I go so hard at this passage is because sometimes this passage is used to justify more than just hierarchy. It's sometimes it's used to, uh, to justify abusive relationships. The husband was put in charge of the wife, so what he says goes. That's really dangerous and bad, and I would want to say a couple things about that. We, I just want to say, it, not just in marriages, but in any relationship, you are not required to stay in a, in a relationship that is abusive. You're, you're not 
required to stay when you're being harmed, manipulated, or abused. When I talk about mutual submission, this is exactly what I mean. The only way for it to work is if both people will love each other sacrificially, not one over top of the other. If you're in any relationship that is abusive physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually, please get help. Come and talk to a pastor or an elder. We want to walk you through that season and and get you help and steps towards healing. But I also want to say this. If, and this goes for the people online who are watching this later or watching it right now and for us in this room. If you are abusive in any of your relationships, if you use your power to get what you want, stop. First John tells us that if you say you love God but you fail to love others, you are lying. By mistreating people in your life, you are lying. You do not love God. You've actually made yourself an enemy of God. And that's not a place you want to be. Stop. Turn your life around. Repent. Experience the grace of God. Too often we put the healing for abusive situations on the victim. And if if you are mistreating somebody in your life, it's your responsibility to fix it. It's your responsibility to submit and repent and push for healing in healthy ways. I say this because it's just all too common, and we're having, we have an abuse panel on September 30th where we're going to talk about all different forms of abuse and what is our role as believers. How do, we, how do we seek healing for people in those situations? It's just crazy how widespread this stuff is and how much it's just as much a part of the church as it is outside of the church, and we have to do better. Healthy relationships only can happen when both people in the relationship are committed to the other person thriving over their own needs. Okay, back to marriage real quick. If both the husband and a wife live and act in such a way that they want to see the other thrive, then you have a healthy marriage. But if one or both partners come to the table with the attitude of what's in this for me, well, then you're going to have problems. If Christians mimic Jesus and approach relationships with the mindset of meeting the needs of others, we will have thriving relationships. This shouldn't be surprising. Jesus said we will live true life when we give our lives away. And he says, loving God and loving others, it can't be broken apart. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to love others. You have to live like Jesus did. So why do we do this? Why do we sacrifice for one another? It's the only way that relationships last. It's why we say for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, uh, to love and to cherish till death do us part. The only way we have permanent, healthy relationships in marriage is when we sacrifice for one another. And we don't want temporary relationships. Severed relationships equals pain. So we don't give up. We stay committed. In doing so, we mirror the gospel, the gospel that Jesus did not give up on us that he left his, his crown in heaven to come down here and trade it for a crown of thorns. The relationship between God and humans was messed up, and there was so much distance because we pushed God away over and over and over again, but he continued to pursue and love us sacrificially. He refused to sever his relationship with us. And this extends beyond marriage. I know I've been talking about marriage a lot, and it's because it's the most intimate of relationships we can have, and so it's, it's going to take the most work, and that's why I wanted to talk about it for a bit. But what we, have, what we have at the heart of any healthy marriage is actually a friendship. The other stuff comes and goes, right? Romantic feelings, you don't feel them all the time, right? 
I mean, especially if you're a lady in the room after you, you had a baby, are you like into romance right then? No, you're like, nobody touched me. I don't feel like myself. My body isn't what it's supposed to be. Like, you don't feel romantic in those times. You're just like, I just need some sleep, right? You don't have the butterflies in your stomach, but you may be in love with the new baby. All that stuff, like, there's times where it's just romance isn't the thing, but you better have friendship. Because when that baby's crying at 2 a.m., you better have each other's backs, right? (laughs) You better have a friendship that lasts those stresses. At the heart of any marriage is, is, is a deep friendship, so let's talk about what friendship can look like. This is one of my favorite memes of all time. Nobody talks about Jesus' miracle of having 12 friends in his 30s. <laughs> That's real. That's real life. How did he pull that off? In the Bible, friendship is often akin to covenant. The idea of love is a, is a commitment between one another. Not a feeling that you feel, but a commitment that I'm for you and with you. This, this idea is very common in the Bible. We don't give up on relationships easily because we're in covenant with one another. We're in friendship with one another. And friendship in the Bible is, is, is actually described more closely with the idea of siblings. Sibling is the, the language. That's why we call each other brother and sister around here. I, want to say, I, I don't know why I just keep wanting to say controversial things, but here we go. Uh, <laughs> the idea of the nuclear family, as we understand it, is really new. It's not an ancient thing. It's actually only as old as the suburbs, which is only about 100 years old. But I see it play out every day because in my neighborhood, most people get in their car, which is in their garage. They put the button up, they leave, and they go out. And then they come home at the end of the day, they push the button, they park their car, and they walk back in their house. And they don't actually ever have to see a neighbor. <laughs> let alone be in relationship with their neighbors, right? But this is new. For most of the history, humans survived in a wider understanding of family than just us four in our house. They survived with this understanding that we need each other. We need a community beyond just our immediate family. We can't treat our relationships with people um, outside of our homes as temporary or transactional. We need to cultivate friendship relationships that are permanent. We need friendship. It's not, it's not optional. One of the unintended consequences of the church of the last hundred years emphasizing the nuclear family, which again, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but one of the unintended consequences of that is that people are lonely. They invested all their times in their marriage relationship and in their parenting relationship and neglected the other relationships in their lives. People thought this is the most important and therefore these things must be unimportant. But I want to say you can have a healthy marriage and a healthy home life and be lonely. I see it all the time. I've experienced it myself. Another thing I want to say is you can be single with no spouse and no kids and not be lonely. Because the church should be a family where everybody is welcome and cared for like family. We should, we should have people in our lives that have refrigerator rights. They don't have to ask. They can just go and grab whatever they want out of the fridge, right? That's the kind of family relationships we need to cultivate. That's the kind of friendships we need to pursue. I want to say a couple of very obvious things about friendship, about how we should love each other in these friendships, but I want to break them down a little bit. 
First, love means being with each other. And I don't just mean spending time, although, you know, it's hard to actually love people if you're not ever with them. But Jesus works through presence, right? That's what Philippians 2 is all about. The incarnation, Jesus becoming man, was all about him coming to be with us. He moved into the neighborhood. He taught, he healed, he bore our sin and suffering, and he did that all up close and personal in the flesh. But being with means a couple of other things. Being with means listening. Are you a good listener? When your friends need to talk, do they come to you? Do you hear each other? When you're in friendships, do you actually hear each other? Do you know each other? Being with means listening. Being with means communicating. It means communicating. Even if it makes things weird, we can't avoid conflict. We have to communicate. Hey, you said this and it hurt me. Can we work this out? Hey, you did this and that really bothered me. Can we work this out? Sometimes we just let friendships drift because we just don't want to have hard conversations. But communicating, talking to each other, expressing things to each other, you have to have it to have a close relationship, to have real friendship. And the last one I think is really important. You can't have unspoken expectations. You can't, you can't expect people to, to read your mind, right? And I think that that's happened often in our relationships because we think a certain way. We assume everybody else sees it the way that we see it. But for most of us, we're, we're, we, we see the th things the way that we do, and it's hard for us to see them differently. So if you have an expectation of somebody, say it. I thought you were going to clean the dishes. Oh, sorry. I didn't know. <laughs> right? Hey, can you clean the dishes? There's expectations, right? And this works in every area of friendship, every area of life. Don't set a high bar for somebody and then expect them to just know that you've set a high bar for them. Tell them what you need. This, this all leads to one thing, vulnerability. By listening to others, by communicating with others, by setting expectations, it leads to vulnerability. We can't have good friendships without vulnerability. We have to be honest and let people see the real us, not the Instagram version of me, the one I want the image that I project that I want everybody to see about me, but the real me with all my flaws and wrinkles. And this is hard. I think this is the biggest barrier to friendship is that we struggle to be vulnerable. We struggle to be honest. We struggle to just say we need each other. And that alone is vulnerable. That's why 10% of women and 15% of men report having no close friends. And about 50% of all people report having three or less close friends because relationships mean being vulnerable, being honest. It's hard. We experienced this pretty deeply. We had a, 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 a friend group that was really close, but specifically one other couple, family that we were really close with when we lived in, in, in Ohio. And uh, after about 10 years of friendship, they moved across the country. And it was brutal. It was like, dang. Who do, we, who do we go to now? Who do we talk to when we're going through these hard things? It was rough. We, we honestly didn't think we'd ever have close friends again. That's how hard it was because we knew. Like, you don't just become that close overnight. It takes, it, it, it takes walking through struggle. It takes, you know, all sorts of laughter. It takes all sorts of experiences, both good and bad, to build those kinds of close relationships. And it, it's like, man, do I even want to put myself out there again? It's brutal. 
The good part is, thanks to technology, they can still be our friends, right? But God provided more friends along the way. We really didn't think it was possible to ever have close friends again. To have people in our lives that weren't related to us, but we felt like we're family, we've experienced it time and time again, even though we thought it was impossible. But it takes that risk of putting yourself out there. It takes that risk of being vulnerable, talking about what was really going on with ourselves, asking for help when we need help. That's what it takes, that kind of vulnerability. I want to say to those of you who are in community here at FCC in one way or another, if you lead a life group or a missional community, we need to see these things not as programs the church does, but as extended spiritual families. That's one of my favorite phrases from the Kansas City Underground. We are extended spiritual families. We are brothers and sisters. We are in sibling relationship with one another. That's so much more important than, than you know, picking the right Bible study. It's so much more important than the knowledge that we gain from it. Friendship, that's what's at the heart of it. In fact, Pete Scazzaro, who wrote the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Series, says this, that, that the biggest measure of spiritual maturity is not how much Bible you know or church attendance. It's how much you love. How much do you love others? That is the biggest mark of spiritual maturity. Oh, yeah, Jesus said something about that. Love God, love people. Yeah, dang, get back to the basics. That's all we need to do. Sometimes all we can do to be with one another is be with one another. Because when you're in the hospital room with somebody who's sick, you don't have any words to say that are going to fix it. So you can just hold a hand and be there. After the funeral is over, there's nothing you could say that's going to make it okay that we've lost somebody. But we can be there, shoulder to cry on. After somebody you're close with goes through a breakup or a divorce, like, again, there's no magic words that fixes any of that, but just being there. I'm here. You need to spill? Spill. I'm here. That's what it looks like to be with one another in the way of sacrificial love like Jesus did. Love means being for each other. Love means being for each other. One of the words that comes up when we talk about friendship in the Bible, it's, it's kind of akin to ad, advocacy. I'm your advocate. I have your back. That's a key ingredient to healthy friendship is I have your back. There's a time in my 20s where I wondered why I wasn't still friends with my best friend from high school. Uh, now, looking back, I know exactly why I'm not friends with my best friend from high school. Because I was in it for me. Instead of going into this saying, like, how do I, and I was a, I was a teenager, right? So, I mean, I, I didn't have the, the, the maturity at the time to understand this. And I wish somebody would have told me this. Hey, everything you do in this friendship is selfish. You're in it for what you can get out of it. A ride to a place, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever it was. Like, he'd have a crush on a girl and I'd be like, I think I have a crush on that girl. And I'd swoop in there. Like, I what a jerk. Like, I should have had my friends back. I should have been like, I'm your wingman. What do you need? But instead, I was like, yeah, she's kind of cute. Step aside, bro. Like, I was, a, I was a bad friend. And it's because I didn't have his back. I was in it for me. And, and if we want healthy friendships, we need two people who commit to each other saying, I'm in this for you. My favorite phrase is, if you like it, I love it. <laughs> if you like it, now that's, that can be unhealthy. But if you like it, I love it. I'm here for you. I've got your back. 
So what does that mean to, to, to be for people? One, I think it means be selfless, like we just talked about. It's about you. I'm here for you. What do you need? I got your back. It also means be proactive. When you, when you are with someone, when you, are, are, you, you listen to them and you learn about them and you know what makes them tick, you learn what makes them feel loved and appreciated and you go out of your way to make that happen. How many people have heard of the five love languages, right? Pretty common thing. I think there's more love languages than five, but it's a nice thought, it's a nice idea, but we can just use that as a starting point. Some people, it's words of affirmation. Go out of your way to encourage your friends with words of affirmation, you know? Don't wait for them to say, hey, you think I'm smart? Tell them they're smart. If you know that they need to hear that, right? Acts of service, go out of your way to do something kind for them. If it's receiving gifts, figure out what, what they love and, and surprise them with a gift. Quality time, that should be the baseline for all of this, is what does quality time look like for, for, for your friends? And let's make sure we carve out time. Is your calendar so packed with stuff that you don't have time for friendships? This whole series is about how do we have healthy discipleship? We can't have healthy discipleship without friendships. We can't. If it's physical touch, don't be weird, all right? <laughs> if you don't know that they don't like being hugged, you know, ask, all right? But, but again, like, we, we make physical touch all about intimacy, like in this marriage thing. We, I think we over-sexualize physical touch. But, like, you know, I, I've, I've had friends where it's like, hey, man, Shoulder hurts. Give me a back rub. I mean, but seriously, we'd have like a, a, a train of people just doing shoulder rubs, and it was just dudes. Like, there's nothing weird about that unless you make it weird, all right? <laughs> I noticed Will laughed. Will, you, you line up for a shoulder rub later? Nope, didn't think so. <laughs> but again, all these, it's, you know, it's not a formula, this five love languages. All it is is know your friends. Know them enough to know how they experience the love of God and then proactively go and do that thing. And the last one is, seems really simple, but show up. To be for somebody is to show up even when it's hard. When life is hard, show up. When there's conflict, show up. When they need somebody to stick up for them, show up. Be their advocate. Being for someone means that you show up. When they get the diagnosis, you get over there. When they get the bad news, you get over there, you show up. It's awkward, it's hard. When people are going through pain, we don't like it because we wish we could fix it. We can't, but just, we just need to show up. Just be there. Did you know that? And this is something I just learned as I was researching this. It shouldn't be that crazy to think, but did you know that there are physical health benefits to friendship? There are physical health benefits to friendship. People who have friends who show up for them are more likely to survive cancer than people who have no close friends. They're less likely to have high blood pressure and heart problems. That's nuts. What that shows us is even our physical bodies are designed for community. We need each other. We need to show up for one another. So I want to say this. If you're lonely and you're experiencing loneliness, I invite you into community in this place. It's one thing to attend a church. It's another thing to be a part of the family, right? And everybody's welcome at the table. Find a group that meets here. Get involved in one of the, the, the groups that, are, you know, that we've been talking about. If you're struggling with mental health or you're going through a tough time, going through divorce, something like that, find a group of people and let's 
dig into these friendships. Let's be with and for one another. If you've been a Christian a long time and you kind of think of, of, of following Jesus as just a close group of friends that, you know, meet together for Bible study and prayer, well, we need to open up that table. There needs to be a seat at the table of your community because loneliness is an epidemic and one thing we have to offer this world is true friendship, meaningful friendship. As Christians, let's be about this. Let's make this a hallmark of who we are. That's why we say loving community is one of the four most important things around here. Friendship. Why? Because we need each other. When we invest, we invest in healthy relationships because that's what we were created for and they don't just happen, we have to work at them. We are created in the image of God and the primary way that we live that out is in relationship. We are meant to live in such a way that people experience the love of God through us, through friendship with us. We are meant to be mirrors reflecting the love of God. And when we invest in healthy relationships, we live out our most holy purpose. Being with and for each other. When we are with and for each other, we remind us of the most important promise that God has given us. That no matter what we are going through, Jesus says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Of all of the areas of your life that are important, work, school, things that you love to do, those all have to take a back seat to investing in healthy relationships because it's our very purpose in this life. In fact, not only do they need to take a back seat, they need to be rearranged so that in each area of those, you're looking how you can invest in healthy relationships at work and school and in your hobbies, etc. right? It's the point of the whole thing. We're mirrors of God's love to each other. And we're reminding ourselves of that truth. Never will he leave us. Never will he forsake us. Why? Because the people that, that love him, they're with me. They're for me. Let's be that kind of church. We are to live that out in a community where we don't give up on one another because Jesus hasn't given up on us. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to keep worshiping. And I'm going to sing a song about the promises of God. And I think one of the most beautiful things we can do is remind ourselves of this promise of God. Never will he leave us. Never will he forsake us. Let's receive that. But let's share that with each other through being present with and for one another. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day that we can come and be in this place together. God, forgive us for any time that we thought church was a, a, a service or a building or a program. God, the church is people. It's us. We are your church. And this is who you call us to be, to have that same attitude as Christ Jesus. To lay down our power, to lay down our, our selfishness, to lay down for other people's sake, God. Lord, May we do that in healthy ways. May we commit to one another, not to one-sided relationship where one person submits and the other doesn't, but, but mutual submission. May we lay down our lives for one another and in the process, we'll all be loved. When we just seek the good of others, people's needs are met and they're cared for. Help us get back to the basic of loving God and loving each other. But we need it. I need it. God, teach us what it means to be in deep relationship and deep friendship. We need this. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.